0: You're listening to Brains On, where we're serious about being curious. Brains On is supported
1: in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation.
2: So, Mary, what would the opening of Brains On sound like if it were opposite day right now? Maybe something like this?
3: You are not listening to Brains On. This is not Molly Bloom, and we are not curious about anything. That tree over there? Boring. My phone? I don't care how this thing works. That dog? It is not super cute, and I'm definitely not interested in finding out why it wants to smell all the things. Nope. You want a mystery sound? Too bad. Here's the sound of me turning off this microphone because there are no questions to answer and no one interesting to talk to. Bye.
2: You know, I'm not sure I'd want to listen to that show. Well, at least the episodes would be really short. Luckily, it's not Opposite Day here on Brains On, but Opposite Day is on our minds. We're going to talk all about logic and paradoxes today. And we're going to have some fun tying our minds in knots. Keep listening. listening to Brains On from American Public Media, and here with me today is 15-year-old Mary Moore from Lakeshore, Minnesota. Hi, Mary. Hi, Molly. And this episode was inspired by a question that you sent in to us. Let's hear it.
0: I'm wondering how I can determine whether today is opposite day or not. When I asked if today is opposite day, my teacher said no. If it is opposite day and he says no, then it really must be opposite day. But if it isn't opposite day, his answer would be the same. Please help me figure
2: out this paradox. Sincerely, Mary Moore. That is a great question. So Mary, what made you think of this question?
0: Well, we play opposite day a lot at our house. We just like, everything's opposite.
2: So give me an example of what happens when it's opposite day at your house.
0: So like if I asked, do you want a glass of water? And you say, yes, that really means no.
2: So it's kind of just responding to questions with the opposite of what you really mean. You don't, like, wear your clothes, like, your pants on your head or something?
0: Yeah, or, like, sometimes you, like, walk backwards or whatever. <laughs>
2: Excellent. So is is it a thing that you ever do at school?
0: Um, sometimes, like, we play it at recess or whatever.
2: What is it like when you do it at recess?
0: Especially on the playground, it's hard to, like, use the monkey
2: bars backwards. Yeah, I don't think your arms like, like run that back, way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so is it hard to understand what you and your family are talking about when it's opposite day at your house?
0: Well, sometimes. Because, like, if you ask the question backwards of what you really mean to ask and then they answer it backwards. It's all confusing.
2: Like, what are we talking about here? So how would you describe what a paradox is?
0: It's a puzzle that's confusing and doesn't really have an answer. Excellent.
2: Well, we're going to dive more into paradoxes in a little bit, but first we're going to look at opposite day and we're going to help you untangle the question that you sent us. How do you find out whether it's opposite day or not? And here to help us is Justin Ku, who's a professor of philosophy at MIT.
4: This is a great question. Mary wants to know whether it's Opposite Day. Opposite Day is the day when you say the opposite of what you really mean. Suppose Mary, in wanting to know this, asks her teacher, who does know whether it's Opposite Day.
0: Is it Opposite Day?
4: Okay, so... Now we we can think about whether the answer to this question could really tell Mary whether it's Opposite Day or not. So let's suppose that it is Opposite Day. Well, then Mary's teacher should say, no.
1: No, it's not Opposite Day.
4: And that's because since it is in fact Opposite Day, Mary's teacher should say the opposite of what she really means. But let's suppose that it's not Opposite Day. Then Mary's teacher should also say no because she should just say what she means and it's not opposite day, so no would be the right answer. Um, And so it seems like the question, is Is it it opposite opposite day, day? can only have the answer no, no, in which case Mary could never find out whether it's opposite day by asking someone who knows.
0: Does that clear things up? Um, no.
4: One way to try to find out whether it's opposite day Um, is to ask someone who knows a different question. So one kind of question that you could do to find out whether it's Opposite Day is you could ask someone a question that you know the answer to and that you know that they also know the answer to. Let's suppose for a second that Mary knows that her name is Mary and that she also knows that her teacher knows that her name is Mary. Then Mary could ask her teacher,
0: Ms. Brown, is my name Mary?
4: Okay, so now we can sort of see how the answer to this question might allow Mary to infer whether it's opposite day. So suppose that the teacher says, Well, yes, your name is Mary. to the question, Is, is my, my name, name Mary? Mary? Well, then Mary can infer that it is not opposite day because if it were opposite day, the teacher would have had to say no because then she would have had to say the opposite of what she meant. But if the teacher says,
1: No, your name is
2: not Mary.
4: Then Mary can infer it really is opposite day.
2: Your name is not Mary. This isn't school, and class can throw away their homework. We're going to study on the playground and climb on our desks. Oh, and the cafeteria food is actually delicious. Yay!
4: Mary, to me, seems like a natural philosopher. The opposite day question and puzzle is exactly the kind of issue that animates philosophers and gets us thinking and excited.
2: So, Mary, what do you think of Justin's solution? I think that's a pretty good solution. So you can just say, is my name Mary? And you'll have your answer. So now in his answer, he talked about inferring. Do you know what inferring is?
0: Yeah, it's kind of like using the stuff you know to make a good guess of what
2: it means. Exactly. So this is how Justin describes it.
4: Inferring is something when what you do when you move from one piece of information to another, using the information that you have to gain new information. So one type of inference is inductive inference.
2: This kind is where you gather specific examples or data and then make a conclusion based on it. So let's say every morning your cat wakes up at 5 30 wanting to be fed. So an inductive inference would be my cat will wake me up at 5 30 tomorrow. This is the kind of inference that scientists make when they collect data and then they make a conclusion.
4: There's another kind of inference, which is called a deductive inference.
2: This is when the conclusion is directly contained in the information that you have in front of you. If the starting point is true, then the conclusion is guaranteed to be true. Here's an example. You know your cat only eats food that he likes. Your cat eats the food that you give him. So you can infer that your cat likes that food. This kind of way of looking at situations is called logic. One
4: answer about what logic is, is it's an attempt to find the fundamental laws of reality.
2: We're going to get real with reality in just a little bit. But first, it's time for the Mystery Sound. Mystery Sound. Are you ready? Yes. All right, here it is. Any guesses?
0: Sort of sounds like gears turning, maybe paper shuffling.
2: Okay, something turning or shuffling. Excellent. Well, we are going to hear it again in just a little bit. And while you puzzle through that, we have a special guest here.
0: Adrastin Narayo is a philosophy professor at MIT who specializes in paradoxes. Thanks for being here today.
2: Oh, I'm so delighted to be here.
0: What makes a paradox a paradox?
5: It's about having some principles which all seem true and a bit of reasoning which seems like it's got to be right and a conclusion that has got to be wrong. And then what's interesting is that because a valid piece of argument can't take you from something true to something false, you know that you've made a mistake somewhere and the challenge is to find the mistake.
0: What's your favorite paradox or puzzle?
5: There's a paradox which I think is the hardest paradox ever and that's the liar paradox and it's really really easy to state so you take a sentence that says this very sentence is false
2: okay this is molly interrupting for one minute because this is a little confusing the liar's paradox is just one sentence and that one sentence is this sentence is false that's the sentence This sentence is false. So the sentence is saying that itself is false. Okay? Okay.
5: And then you ask, okay, so is that sentence true or is it false? And it's very hard to know what to say because if it's true, then what it says is true, but it says it's false. And if it's false, then what it says is not true, but
2: it says it's false. So it's not false. So it's true. So no one's ever been able to find like a definitive answer to that.
5: That's right. So many, many people, myself included, have suggested ideas about how one might go about it. But very often, the only person who thinks that's the right solution is the person who wrote it. And that's definitely true of me. I'm the only person in the world who thinks that my solution is the right one.
2: What was the solution you came up with?
5: Well, my solution is really radical. What I think is that language doesn't come with ready-made meanings. So it's not like we use words, and each word is like a little box that has its meaning. Instead, what happens is that as we communicate, we build meanings on the fly. And what goes on in the liar paradox is that there are reasons that uh, the right meaning cannot be built. So it's a little bit like saying... Uh, Okay, let's play this game. Uh, Let's play the game of doing something that Agustin is not doing right now. So Mary can win that game. Maybe she'll just scratch her head, and I'm not scratching my head, uh, so she'll win. But I can never win the game, because if I try scratching my head, then I'll be doing something that I am doing. And if I try jumping up and down, then again, I'll do something that I am doing, so I can never win. And that's kind of what happens in the liar paradox. We try to build meanings but it's built into the game we're trying to play that I'll never
0: get to build a stable meaning.
2: So how how does your brain feel when you think about these things, Mary?
0: It's just like it it messes it up. It's like twisting it and pulling it.
2: And you really like math. Yeah, I do. So how does math make your brain feel?
0: I don't know. Math is kind of simple for me. It's just like that all makes sense.
2: So that's very clean, and this is sort of like the opposite. it's like messy.
5: Well, I just wanted to say to Mary that sometimes, when you feel like your mind is being stretched and churned, that's only making it stronger. It's like exercising a muscle. Then at first, it hurts a little bit, but uh, then you have a bigger muscle, and you can do it, you can use it to do really cool things. So I say, keep working that mind.
0: Thanks for answering my questions.
5: Oh, of course. Anytime.
0: Yeah, I had lots of fun. Thank you.
2: Do you have questions or paradoxes you'd like us to tackle on Brains On? A mystery sound to share? Or maybe you want to send us a drawing or a high five?
0: Then email us. The address is hello at brainson.org.
2: And if you share your ideas with us, you'll join Ben on the Brains Honor Roll. He sent us this question.
3: How do erasers erase pencil marks?
2: Oh, erasers? That's easy. It's, um, I mean, everybody knows that it's, um. Listen for the answer to that
0: question during our moment of, um, at the end of the show.
2: And the latest group to be added to the Brain's Honor Roll.
0: Keep listening.
3: listening to Brains Off, where we half-heartedly sit around staring at stuff. I'm not Molly Bloom. So, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Have you ever wondered about what the universe is made of, and what time is, and how weather patterns form, and how animals communicate, and why we dream? Yeah, me neither. I'm just going to sit here and stare at this spider's web and not wonder how that eight-legged little creep managed to make something so beautiful. I mean, boring. Well, that's it for this episode. Don't tune in next week. Seriously, don't. It's going to be really boring. Whatever. Bye.
0: You're about listening to Brains On from American Public Media.
2: I'm Mary. And I'm Molly. Okay, Mary, are you ready to hear the mystery sound again? Yes. All right. Here it is. Any new thoughts?
0: It kind of sounds like a marble going down a, like a marble track.
2: Hmm. Excellent guess. Well, here is the answer.
0: Hello. My name is Old Weaver, and I'm from Howardtown, Pennsylvania. That mystery sound that you just heard
2: was the sound of my salad spinner because vegetables are the best. Vegetables are the best. Have you seen a salad spinner before? No. So it's basically a bowl. You put wet leaves and lettuce in it. And then it has a little thing you press on the top that spins it around. So there's a top and a spinner, and then it dries your lettuce. So you can eat all your vegetables. <laughs> What's your favorite vegetable? I like carrots and peas. Those are classic. I think I like Brussels sprouts.
3: Brains on.
0: We've learned a bit about paradoxes and logic and the way our brains can work through these puzzles.
2: But there's another kind of logic at play, and that's the logic
1: found in artificial intelligence.
0: Here to tell us more is Brains On producer Sandon Totten.
1: It's hard to go a single day without relying on logic in some form. I mean, it's running in every smart device you own, and it even runs in some of the not-so-smart devices.
6: If you use a computer, if you use a calculator, if you use a microwave or a vending machine, then logic is sort of working behind all of that.
1: That's Randy Williams. She's a master's student at MIT, and she works with robots and AI, which stands for artificial intelligence. She says computers of all kinds think in a series of ones and zeros. Basically, these ones and zeros act sort of like switches. One for on, the other for off. You can learn more about how they work in our episode on how the internet travels to your home. By using enough ones and zeros, you can program complex tasks based on simple logic.
6: So let's say I'm writing a program to run a vending machine. So I'm like, okay, what I want to happen is someone puts in a number, the computer thinks about something, and then it drops me out food.
1: For the user, you just give the machine some change, hit a few buttons, and voila. Snack time. Simple enough, right?
6: What that means to me in my head is very different than it means to the computer. So first you have to break it down into all of its itty-bitty-bitty steps. So, you know, someone is putting in a number, so you have to register a button push.
2: Button push.
6: Then you have to take that button push and map it to some combination.
5: Button for A and button for 2 have been pushed.
6: So maybe A2 is the donuts. That's the one I would go for. And then after you realize that you want the donuts and you have to check the money
5: if button for A and button for 2 have been pushed then check to see if customer put in $1 does
6: the money match the amount of money that I should have
5: $1 confirmed
6: when it finally puts out the donut you have to tell the motors to start moving and to
1: stop
5: if $1 is confirmed then start motor to release one item from location A2
1: The whole process relies on logic statements that go, if this, then this. Randy says it's crucial to think this way if you want to program machines. Starting with simple logic and building from there, we can create artificial intelligences capable of lots of complicated tasks, like recognizing faces or even answering simple questions. But Randy says even these highly sophisticated machines still think very differently from humans.
6: When you build robots, people sometimes ask, does the robot know who I am? And I would say yes, but not the same way. And the same thing is kind of true of logic. So if your idea of knowing someone is, you know their name and you know what they like and when you're around them, maybe you feel happy or sad, then no, maybe a robot doesn't know those things, but it has a memory in its head, so it... Uh, knows your name is zeros and ones and when you are around it maybe it feels a different combination of zeros and ones so maybe the two things can kind of map together but like it's this totally different representation of those kinds of emotions.
1: Randy Williams says you don't have to work in computers to appreciate logic though. She says it can help you solve all kinds of problems and it's a great tool for your cognitive toolbox.
0: to the question, is it office A, day?" will always be no.
2: But you can find the answer by asking another question and inferring the answer. Paradoxes could seem absurd or contradictory, but may actually be true. And logic is an important part of how we program everything, from vending machines to artificially intelligent robots. And now, before we go, it's time for our moment of
3: um...
7: Um... 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 Um...
3: Um... Hello, my name is Ben, and I live in Lee Summit, Missouri. My question is, how do erasers erase pencil marks?
7: Hi, this is Greg Weiss, a professor of chemistry at University of California at Irvine. My lab uses a type of carbon called carbon nanotubes to study how proteins work. Carbon is an element found on the periodic table, and it can be found in different forms. In this pencil that I'm holding, the carbon atoms are in the form of sheets called graphite. And when you write with a pencil, as I'm doing now, the paper turns color, it turns dark. But what's happening is a sheet of graphite is being left behind on the paper. So now the pencil eraser reverses the process. What it's doing is actually wearing away that layer of paper. And let's take a close look at this, okay? So imagine with me that you're using the eraser as I'm doing right now, and as you can imagine, my um, desk here is filling up with little grains of dust. It's actually the rubber. And if I look closely at these grains, because that's what we do as scientists, we look really, really closely at things. These grains of dust are actually, they're dark colored now, and the paper is light. That dark color is actually the graphite stuck to the rubber, and it's no longer stuck to the layer of the paper. So now I'm going to do what scientists like to do. So now we're getting even closer to the sample, and now I'm going to start feeling it. And when I feel it, the surface texture has changed. It feels rough where I did the racing, and what's happened is the eraser has worn away the top layer of the paper material, and the surrounding area, that part that hasn't been erased, is nice and smooth. So the way the eraser works is it scrapes off the graphite, puts it on this rubber that then turns into these little sandy grains, and then also scrapes off a top layer of paper in doing so. Rubber is a hydrophobic material, meaning it doesn't mix well with water. And graphite, it turns out, is also hydrophobic. So these two types of material really love each other. And because they have uh, very similar anti-water tendencies, they'll stick to each other very well. So rubber is kind of ideally suited for this purpose. This is a great experiment to do at home, because you can actually look really closely at the piece of paper and at the little grains, and so you can try to track where the graphite is going at the end of this. And that's how erasers work.
2: Um, um, um... These names are going down in the permanent record and not erasable. It's the latest group to be added to the Brain's Honor Rule. These are the listeners who share their ideas, questions, and mystery sounds with us. Here they are. Owen, Luke, and Vivian from Franklin, Massachusetts. Lily and Levi from Phoenix. Isabel from Sydney, Australia. Charlotte from Fairfax, Virginia. Sarah Lynn from Tennessee. Cipriano from Seattle. Brian and Elizabeth from North Carolina. Freya from Nelson, New Zealand. Métis from Phoenix. Ava from Sydney, Australia. Aiden from Adelaide, Australia. Lila from Canada. Gabriel from Winter Garden, Florida. Daniel from Cincinnati. Rosalie from Los Gatos, California. Nicholas and Owen from Monteca, California. Tegan from Clarkson, Michigan. Abby and Lily from Arlington, Massachusetts. Wyatt from Enterprise, Alabama. Dorothea from Sweet Home, Oregon. Naomi and Judah from Los Angeles. And... Nice from Toledo, Ohio. Sophie and Caroline from Annandale, Virginia. Neva from Yorba Linda, California. Leif from San Diego. Caleb from Cottonwood Heights, Utah. Layla from Cheshire, Connecticut. Sarah Grace and Evie May from Laguna Hills, California. Suki from Thornton, Colorado. Charlie from Los Angeles. Xavier from Cincinnati. Shay from Water Valley, Alberta. Cyrus from Richmond, Virginia. Kate from Flagstaff, Arizona. Isabella from Orlando, Florida. Miles from California. Paige from Halifax, Nova Scotia. Hazel and Gus from San Juan Island, Washington. Gus from Minneapolis. Simon from Chicago. Joseph from Cincinnati. Eden from New York City. Lily and Xavier from Loganville, Georgia, Lincoln from Fur Island, Washington, Caitlin from Cornerville, Iowa, Henry from Canberra, Australia, Reese and Sebastian from Albany, Lucho from Isla Bastimentos, Panama, May from Denver, Eva from Newton, Massachusetts, Chloe from Boulder Creek, California, and Theo from Greenfield, Massachusetts. That's it for this episode of Brains On.
0: Brains On is produced by Mark Sanchez, Sandon Totten, and Molly Bloom.
2: We had engineering help this week from Randy Johnson, Johnny Vince Evans, Matt Russell, and Veronica Rodriguez, and production help from Lauren D., John Lambert, and Jacqueline Kim.
0: Brains On is supported in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation.
2: Many thanks to Kieran Moore, Brandon Santos, Elizabeth Dunbar, and Senora Sandoval's third grade class.
0: If you want to hear more Brains On, you can find all our episodes at brainson.org or listen on your favorite podcast app, We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Radio Public, basically wherever you get your podcasts.
2: And if you're a fan of the show, consider leaving a review in Apple Podcasts.
0: It helps other people find out about the show and brings smiles to our faces and joy to our hearts.
2: You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter. We're brains underscore on. And Facebook, too. We'll be back soon with more answers to your questions. Thanks for listening.